We're looking through the book of Ephesians in this series that we're calling New Humanity. That's our theme. Because the astonishing thing that we're finding in Ephesians is that the Apostle Paul writes to troubled churches and he talks about their new identity, about who they are as God's new humanity. We need to hear the same thing now. Because to the degree that we access our rich identity in Christ, the more we're going to be filled up with God's power and strength and joy. Now, there's basically two parts to doing that. You have to receive God's blessings, then you have to respond to those blessings. First, you have to receive those blessings, and you have to understand the gospel of grace, how we have been completely saved by grace through Christ, how we are formed into this new community called the church. And that's what Paul helps us understand in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We need to meditate on that and examine that and unpack that more into our lives. So there's a sense in which that's so rich that it's going to take our whole lives to meditate on these blessings. But you don't just receive, you also have to respond to those blessings. And that's what Paul helps us do in the next three chapters, from chapters 4 to 6. We're trying to see how do we respond then? How does the gospel of grace change me? How do these blessings change everything about this new community called the church? And last week, we began to see that happen, how it results in a new attitude, in the unity that we have in Christ. And in these next few verses that we're going to look at today, if we take this seriously, it's going to change the way we do church as a community. Let me read that passage for you. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this passage Paul's teaching us how Christ designed and empowers the church to build itself up. He's talking about how the church grows. Now, let me say right off the bat that this message is not just for the church leaders. It's for every Christian. Remember, who's Paul talking to here? He's talking to every believer in those churches. Therefore, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, if you're a Christian, you have a vital role to play in how the church grows. So, 
Let's look at this passage a little closer and let's ask three questions. Let's ask, what is it, it the church is aiming for? What Christ gives to attain it? And how do we apply it? What's our aim? How do we attain? And how do we apply? First of all, what does the church aim for? And it says there clearly in verses 13 to 15, our aim is simply to grow up in every way into Him, into Christ. Our aim is to create Christ-likeness in every person. It's that simple, and yet it's profound. So let's look at this in high definition. We want to be absolutely clear what our aim is. We don't want to mess around, right? We're too busy and the mission is too important. So what is our aim? Well, negatively speaking, our aim to grow up into Christ means to no longer be children. So that means we're supposed to grow out of our spiritual infancy. The moment every person becomes a Christian, they are born again. They are essentially like newborn spiritual babies. No matter how educated or how sophisticated a person may be, when they're born again, they're spiritual babies. So there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby, right? But we're supposed to mature. We're supposed to grow out of it. Well, what are spiritual babies like? I'm a parent and my baby daughter, the more I observe her, the more I see the similarities between a real baby and spiritual babies. See, on the one hand, babies are easy to sway. They have no stability yet. So on, the, on one moment, they can be happy. The next, they're crying. And then the next, they're laughing, right? There's no stability in them. And in the same way, Paul says, spiritual babies are tossed to and fro by the waves. They have no stability. So an example of this is spiritual babies can hear a great sermon or attend a conference or attend a camp and they get all hyped up and they say, I'm never going to be the same. This is so wonderful. I'm going to start doing this from now on. And then a few days later, they get discouraged and then soon they stop trying. Soon they just forget all about it. See, there's no stability in them. Or here's another example. Spiritual babies, have their prayers answered and they say god loves me so wonderfully and then a few days later god doesn't answer their prayers anymore and they start to say i don't feel god's love anymore see spiritual babies they go up and down like a roller coaster there's just no stability yet they're easy to sway and they're also easy to fall when my baby daughter refuses to hand me something all I have to do is dangle a new shiny noisy toy and immediately she lets go to grab hold of that new thing. And spiritual babies, Paul says, are also the same because they're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That means they're not yet rooted in God's truth. And so when a new shiny half-truth comes along, they let go of this and they grab hold of that. They just don't have the spiritual experience and rootedness yet 
to discern what is true or false, what is prudent or foolish, what is beneficial or not. They don't have it yet. So oftentimes, spiritual babies tend to decide based on their own feelings rather than God's truth. So when something makes them happy, they do it. If something lines up with their preferences, then they believe it, right? In that sense, they're a bit too gullible. They're not yet mature enough. But on the other hand, they're also very stubborn because when God's truth comes and challenges them and confronts them, they tend to shut it out or ignore it or they run away from it. See, that's what spiritual babies are like. Paul says our aim is to no longer be children. Don't stay a baby. Mature. You have to mature. Now, positively speaking, growing up in every way into Christ is spelled out more in verse 13 in three ways. It says there, we aim to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now that means there's supposed to be a deep supernatural unity between people who share the same faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, but this goes deeper than just same doctrines or same beliefs. You see, the word for knowledge there doesn't just mean intellectual agreement. It means a personal connection. So what Paul's trying to say here is when two people share a deep connection with Christ, there's going to be a unity there. There's going to be a bond there, the supernatural bond, and they're going to gravitate towards each other. There's a unity that comes from spiritual maturity. And the next Paul says, our aim is to mature manhood. That means we're no longer children. We've grown up, we've matured. We, we're no longer easy to sway, easy to fool. No, we're now rooted, stable in God's truth. And therefore, we can keep obeying in the same direction, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how confusing it gets, no matter what winds try to blow, off, blow us off course, we can keep obeying. That's what mature manhood means. You're a mature man of God, a mature woman of God. And lastly, third, it says there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that means, that you are becoming more like Christ more and more. You're becoming more full of Christ. You're becoming more loving, more gentle, kinder and humbler and wiser and stronger than you were last year. So when people finally meet you again after COVID, they're going to say, it's remarkable how much you've changed. You're changing, you're growing to the fullness of Christ. And if you put all that together to no longer be children and to attain all of that, what we have here is a scope of growth that is breathtaking. It's, 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 just a, it's just an incredible vision to have for the church. And that is our aim. It's a supernatural aim, to be honest. And it's impossible for us alone. That's why we need number two. We need what Christ gives to attain it. Now, in 11 and 12, the Greek there actually emphasizes the word he. 
Christ, the word He. Think of it in bold letters. Christ gave us these resources so that we can attain it. Without Him, without those resources, we won't grow. So what does Christ give us? What does He give to attain the growth of His church? He gives us His plan and the gifts to implement His plan. The plan and the gifts. And the deeper we apply these resources, the more we're going to grow as a church. So first, let's look at the plan. Christ gave us a plan for how to build His church. And notice, first of all, that the plan involves the saints. The saints, which is every Christian. Now, it says there, the saints are for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In short, every Christian is called to do ministry. Every Christian is called to do ministry. Now, when we say ministry, that simply means meeting a need. You're meeting a need. So, for example, since there's a need for young children to be taught God's Word, we have the Sunday School Kids Ministry. It's to meet that need. Or, for example, a, a person needs someone to talk to. A ministry could be to listen and talk to that person. That's a ministry. You're meeting their need. So, there's all kinds of ministries out there because there's all kinds of needs that need to be met. And these ministries are supposed to help build up the body of Christ, is to help people grow towards Christ. And the plan is, every Christian is supposed to be engaged in some ministry. Every Christian is supposed to be mobilized for ministry. So, this passage shows us it's not good enough, even if we have lots of high-quality Bible teaching. It's not enough. Even if we have the Apostle Paul preaching here, it's not enough if every believer is mobilized. See, the illustration often used here is the church is not like a basketball game, you know, where 10 superstars are playing and 10,000 are watching. No, no, no. Rather, the church is more like an army. Everyone from the private to the general, they're all engaged in the mission. There are no spectators. There are no customers. They're all engaged in the mission. That's the plan. Every Christian, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, everyone's supposed to be mobilized in ministry. Question is, are you engaged or are you violating the plan? Now notice, there's also a key component in this plan that allows the church to operate effectively. We're told that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, basically speaking, these are five kinds of ministries that handle the ministry of God's Word. These are people that Christ has entrusted and equipped to teach God's Word, to administer God's Word to the church. They're the primary people responsible for that. So, in our context, these are your pastors, your elders, your leaders. They're the ones 
entrusted by Christ to be the primary people to teach and administer God's word. And the key word there is, what they're supposed to be doing is to equip the saints. Now, the word equip doesn't really get across the full meaning behind that Greek word. Because that word is, in some cases, it's used to talk about repairing something broken. Or in some cases, it's used to say, to restore someone who's fallen from sin. So, what Paul's trying to say here is, these people who do the ministry of God's word, they're supposed to bring Christians to a condition of fitness, where they are fit enough to do ministry. They're supposed to equip the saints with God's word so that they are fit enough to do ministry. Well, what are these things that they need to be equipped with? Well, well later on in chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. There's the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, and so on. These are the primary equipment believers need so that they can go out there and do the ministry to serve a need, to meet a need, and help build people up. So, for example, when you are racked with worries and fears and doubts, what you need is to be equipped with God's word so that you have fresh courage and faith to go serve in ministry. When a great crisis hits you, you need to be equipped with God's word so that you can find comfort and endure and find the strength to stand back up and meet a need. When you are stuck in sin, what you need is your leaders to come and administer God's word to you and discipline you and restore you up so that you are fit enough to do ministry again. See, in other words, the key component is God's word. This is what animates everything about us as a church. And the more we sit under the ministry of God's word, the more effective we will be in our ministry, the more joy we will have, and the more meaning we will receive in doing our ministry. This, God's Word, is the key component. We need this. We need to be equipped with this. That's the plan. The plan, God's plan, is for God's people to be equipped with God's Word so that they can engage in God's mission to build his church are you engaged and do you want to be mobilized for ministry well then we need to look at secondly his gifts what are the gifts that christ gave us a few verses back in verse 7 paul says this but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift Christ gave every believer a measure of grace. He gave gifts, and these are what we call spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are abilities to meet some need. In other words, Christ gave every believer some gift in order for them to meet some need, to do some ministry, right? So what are these spiritual gifts? 
Well, back down in verse 11, we saw a list of spiritual gifts. There's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and so on, right? So this is a list of spiritual gifts that we have. But this is just one of five lists that you can find in the New Testament. There are five lists. And if you actually take a look at these lists and you compare them, you're going to see that none of them are exactly the same. So we know that these lists are not meant to be complete. They're more like examples of gifts. That means there are other gifts out there in the church that may not be listed in the Bible. There are more gifts out there. So there are some people who are gifted at teaching God's word. There are some people gifted at encouraging those who are discouraged. There may be people who are gifted in leadership and they can lead effectively. There may be people who are gifted in doing acts of mercy well, and it's and on and on it goes. But the point is this. Jesus has all the abilities. He can meet all the needs that we have, but he has entrusted a portion of his abilities to every Christian. No one has all the abilities. Only Jesus does. But every Christian gets a portion. Therefore, that means every Christian is not only called, they're also gifted to do ministry. Every Christian is called and gifted to do some kind of ministry. There is no Christian who has nothing to contribute. Every Christian has a unique and vital role to do for the church to grow. Now, you may be wondering, well, I don't know my gift. How do I identify my gift? Well, it's not that hard, actually. You just have to try out different kinds of ministries, see which one resonates with you, and ask the people around you what they think. You have to understand your gifts and apply them. The point is, you have to apply them. The better you understand and apply your gifts, the better the church of Christ will grow. See, you know, our church used to be a small church. And I'm not alone in saying this. Many people have observed that the problem in many small churches is that oftentimes when you look at it, you find people who are doing all kinds of things. It's run like a small family business. Everyone is, does everything, right? And so many times, these people are also doing things that they're not really gifted with, you know? So for them to do the work, to accomplish the minimum required, it takes them a lot of extra effort, a lot of extra stress to achieve that, you know? And as a result, many of them end up overworked and burned out. Now, our church is no longer really that small, right? But I think to a certain degree, we still have this small church problem. It's still there. That's because we're not yet taking seriously the gifts that Christ has given the church. But if you look at most big churches, there's also a problem. The problem with most big churches is that most people go to a church, lots of people go to a big church, because they can go in 
and they can blend in the crowd. They're just a face among the thousands there, right? And so they can go in and expect to receive content to get high quality input without ever having to give out any output. Now, in my estimation, not only does our church have a small church problem, but we're big enough to have the big church problem. But the size is not the problem. The problem is the depth to which we are applying the plan and the gifts that Christ has given his church. We won't be as mature as we want. We won't be as effective as Christ wants us to be unless we take his gifts and his plan seriously. We need to be engaged, every one of us. We need to be engaged and use our gifts to meet a need and help people grow to Christ-likeness. But let me go a step further here. Because even if, even if we apply the plan, we use our gifts, even if we do all that, it might not be good enough. See, in the book of Revelations, Jesus speaks to one of the churches there, to the church of Sardis. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, what does that mean? Well, Dr. Tim Keller points out that this probably means that the church is known for being alive because they have lots of teaching, lots of ministry, lots of activities, they're busy, 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 right? But they're actually dead because no one's walking closer with Christ. No one's becoming more like Christ. So they're applying the plan. They're using their gifts, but they're using it wrongly. What then is the right way to apply it? How do we apply the gifts and the plan of Jesus Christ? And the answer is true love. We need to apply it in love. You see, twice here, Paul says that the church builds itself up in love. It's in love. See, when Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Now, what he means there is not by our words in speaking the truth, but in our life, we're living according to the truth. We are using our gifts according to the truth. We are applying the plan, engaging ourselves in ministry in the truth. But there is a truth that is harsh and mean and divisive. No? All you have to do is look at social media. Now, the last thing we want for our church is to become like social media, right? If we operate on truth alone without love, then we're going to tear people down. We're not going to build ourselves up. We're going to tear ourselves down. We're going to cause more harm than good. In fact, without love, our spiritual gifts are going to be useless and might even be harmful. You know why? Well, think about it. One reason is our gifts are what enable us to see what's wrong or what's missing in a situation. So for example, the person gifted in music can detect a slightly off-key note 
when 99.9% of the crowd won't even notice it, right? They're seeing it because they're gifted for it. Or the person gifted in administration can look at a system and immediately see what's making this so inefficient. They're seeing it because they're gifted for it, right? Or let me give you a recent example that I experienced. About two weeks ago, I asked some people to look at my preaching and give me feedback on how to improve. So they all watched the same message. They all watched the same message. But what's interesting is that none of them gave me the exact same feedback. They all gave me different things that I needed to work on. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that all of them were right. It's not like one of them was right and all of them was wrong. All of them were right. But they all saw different things because they were all gifted differently. As a side note here, you know, if you're seeing something wrong or something missing and it keeps bothering you, then you're probably the one who's supposed to help do something about it. You're seeing it because you're gifted to do something about it. So don't just talk to your leaders about it. See and pray how you can help do something about it, how you can meet a need that you are seeing. But you have to do it in love. We need to do it in love. You know, in any church, in any church, there's always going to be a diversity of perspectives. There's always going to be different perspectives of how we should do church, about what's wrong, what's missing, what should be our emphasis, and so on. There's always going to be a diversity of that because Christ has given us different gifts, right? But if we operate on truth alone, without love, then those diversities is going to cause friction. It's going to cause division. There's going to be turf wars and jealousies and bitterness. It's not going to make anyone more Christ-like. What we need is true love. That's why someone once pointed out that every time the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts, he talks about love. You know, in our passage, he talks about the apostles, the prophets, and then he talks about building up in love. And in, in Romans 12, he also talks about a list of spiritual gifts. And then immediately he says, let your love be genuine. Let there be brotherly affection. And then in another place in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, guess what? The next chapter is 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter on love. Every time we use our gifts, it has to be done in love. Without love, our gifts are rendered useless. If we operate by truth alone, applying our gifts, without love, we're going to be a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, the Apostle Paul says. Or put it this way, if you're not using your gifts to serve other people, that's because you don't have enough love. You're not interested to help other people grow. You don't love them enough.
That's why you're not serving them. Or on the other extreme, if you're always, always overworked and burned out doing all kinds of ministry, that's because you lack love. You're not filled with God's love inside. So that's why you keep serving, because you're serving to get love, not to give love. Or if you're doing ministry, but you're doing it arrogantly, always looking down on other people, always mocking people, always criticizing, that's a lack of love. Or if you're doing ministry, but you're always insecure, always jealous, always comparing yourself with other people, that's a lack of love. Each and every time our gifts malfunction, it's because we lack love. We need love for our gifts to operate effectively and build up people. If we operate on truth alone without love, Jesus is going to look at us and he's going to say, you look alive, but I know you're dead. We need to be filled with love so that we can love people by our gifts. How can you be filled with love? Paul says, the body grows by the head who is Christ. It's Christ who makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In short, Christ is our aim in our growing, right? But he's also the source of our growth. He's both the aim and the source of our growth. He's the one who enables us to grow. He's the one who gives us not just the gifts, but he's the one who gives us the love we need so that we can love others. Or as 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because we are loved. We are wonderfully loved by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Look, I want you to know that when the more you engage in ministry, you're meeting a need, you're using your gifts, the more you engage in that, I want you to know how easy it is to get caught up in that, in that busyness, to get caught up in there and get lost in it and you end up dry. That's so easy, I know. But you have to remember, no matter what ministry you have, no matter what gifts you have, you always, always, always have to go back to the ultimate gift, to the ultimate ministry that Jesus does for you. In utter love, Jesus gave us not just some gift, he gave us himself. He gave us himself. And in doing his ultimate ministry, his ultimate ministry was to meet the greatest need of all, sin and death. He goes to the cross and dies so that we can live. That's the ultimate ministry. That's the ultimate gift. And each and every time we go out there to use our gifts, to do some ministry, you have to ground yourself in this ministry of Christ. Look at that. Take it in. Take in His wonderful love for you. 
Satisfy yourself in that love. Constantly, constantly draw out from that ocean of love so that you are satisfied and filled up day by day. Then and only then, in the fullness of that love, can you go out there and use your gifts. Go and serve people. Help them grow and be built up in the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you loved us and therefore we can love. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this new identity, this new community that works according to your plan, according to your gifts. So, Father, help us understand these things and apply them well. Help us rethink the way we're doing church, rethink the way we're living our lives. Help us, Father, to love as you loved, to serve as you served. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would grow your church. Help us be mature and grow up in every way into Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. It's in His name we pray, in the name of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray all this. Amen.